together. Here we go. Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us all, delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and to those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, you can stay standing. I'm going to go ahead and read my passage tonight. It comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And this is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm going to pray over this sermon. Would you pray for me, Lord? We praise you. And we praise your Holy Spirit. We praise your presence. We thank you that you're in this house. And I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us for these next few moments through me, Lord, your servant. I pray you would take over, Lord, me, the vehicle, Lord, to, to declare and to proclaim your word. Let it go out. Let it go forth. And let, let this be something we take hold of and put inside of us and put into practice. I rebuke distraction. I rebuke deceit. And I pray truth would come, Lord, from your word tonight and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. This passage of scripture as my youth group already knows is something that I have not been able to get off of my mind. This passage of scripture is a passage that is never too far from my thoughts. And it's been that way for I would have to say years. It's something that I've looked at, I've thought about, I've prayed about, I've studied. It is something I have not been able to shake. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus tell his followers to wait, to wait upon my power, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and then go into the earth and preach the gospel, spread the good news. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see out of the 500 people that Jesus told this, 120 were remaining in the upper room. They were praying and they were seeking the Lord and suddenly as the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit comes in and fills the place where they were and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The moment that Pentecost had truly, fully come. For the first time, the Holy Spirit comes and immerses, baptizes man. Then Peter, out of that power, begins to preach the gospel to a crowd. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. What a day. What an awesome day. What a glorious day. These moments recorded by the author Luke in Acts mark the very beginning of the church 
of Jesus Christ. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those moments. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those people. We wouldn't be here if those people hadn't taken Jesus at his word. We would not be here if they had not took him literally and actually took the good news to the ends of the earth. If it was not for them, if it was not for these moments that took place, we would not be here. That's what's happened so far in the book of Acts. But then we stumble upon Acts 2, 42-47. I believe scripture is not random. That everything placed in it has purpose and meaning and a plan and it was put exactly where it was supposed to be put. And I believe it's no coincidence that Luke paints us a picture in these verses of what the early church looked like. It's not a coincidence. We get a, a description of what they were doing and what they were devoted to. And when I read this passage, when I think about it, when I study it, when I dwell on it, and when I think, I can't help but think about the church, the church as a whole, the body of Christ, and how we as a whole have gotten so far away from what the early church did. What we view as important isn't always the same as what they viewed as important, and what was a priority to them may not always be a priority to the people that sat in pews every single Sunday. I fully believe if you were to look at all these things and break these things down, that everything mentioned in this passage of scripture, these things going on 2,000 years ago, they are not outdated. These things are not outdated. They weren't for times past and gone by. These things that are mentioned here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, are things that we should be focusing on, be devoted to here in the church today. Church was never meant to be something you come to once or twice a week. It was never meant to be about you. It was never meant to be about the style of worship or the songs we sing. It was never meant to be about how cool the building was or how great a fashion sense our pastor has. Pastor Miller has the best fashion sense. Amen. That's what brought me here. I love you, Pastor. <laughs> oh, brother. Anyway, I got him. He's going to be coming for me. Anyway, I could go on and on. But to be honest, when I read this passage, I'm convicted. How far have we gotten away from what the church was meant to be and what the church meant? In, in our youth group, we've been in a series called Be the Church ever since pretty much the beginning of the year. It's been based on this passage of Scripture this coming up week we have is going to be week six, longest series I've ever done, but week six of our series, Be the Church. And we're on a journey to try to become the youth group that God's calling us to be. We are not a separate entity over there. We are a part of the church, but I, I, we are trying to be the church. The Lord spoke to me last November, and he, he kept, I was seeking God, saying, God, what, what's the vein for this year, we have a vision, we have a goal, we have a purpose. What's the next step we need to take towards fulfilling that purpose? And the Lord began to speak to me one word. He said, be, be. And I'm like, be, what, be, what, what do you mean, Lord? And I began to ask and pray and seek and begin to speak to me. And he told me, it's time to be. It's time to simply be. It's time is too short to be anything less than being who God has called us to be. We are not who God has called us to be yet. Time is too short. It's time to step in. It's time to stop talking about it. And it's time to be. 
It's time to be the church because time is too short to fall short. Time is too short to fall short. There's no possible way I could preach this passage of Scripture to you tonight in its entirety. No way, no how. But I just want to focus on one thing. One thing from this passage. One topic. One thing that the early church was devoted to. That thing is fellowship. Fellowship. Biblical fellowship. No coincidence. It was the second thing mentioned in this passage. Would you put Acts 2.42 back up for me, Josh? You're the man. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Go, keep it at 42, man. Josh is used to putting up with me. I love you, Josh. The word, communion, prayer, fellowship. The early church was devoted to fellowship. And when you read verses 44 through 47, we get just a small glimpse of what their fellowship was, what it consisted of, and what it looked like. We as the church, we as the modern day church should still be devoted, devoted, devoted to fellowship. What is fellowship? If you were to look in the dictionary, this is what the dictionary says fellowship is. Friendly association, especially with, especially with people who share one's interests. Other words, friendship, companionship, camaraderie. But the fellowship the early church experienced among, among one another was on a whole other level than the fellowship that many people within the church and outside of the church experience with one another. This was on another level. The fellowship among the early church was something so much deeper, something so much more substantial than the fellowship that many experience today. So tonight, I want to talk to you about what biblical fellowship looks like, what it is, and why it's so important. So let's just cut to the chase. My first main point tonight is this. Jesus Christ was and is our common thread. Jesus Christ was and is our common thread. Fellowship is formed through common interests at its base. We, the church, are brought together. We have fellowship with one another because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is who unites us. Jesus Christ is why we are here. Jesus Christ is and who should draw people to church. The early church didn't experience a deep level of community because they were all the same type of people with similar interests and hobbies. Christ is what brought them together, and Christ is what kept them together. Christ is what brings us together, and Christ is what will keep us together. The fellowship we're talking about tonight, the fellowship the early church experienced was on another level because Jesus Christ is on another level. And Jesus Christ is for everyone. Jesus Christ is for everyone. And because he is for everyone, the body of Christ was and is to be a diverse body. Because Jesus is for everyone, the body of Christ 
was and is to be a diverse body. A body made up with people from different backgrounds, different hobbies, different social status, different interests, different races, ethnicities, and so on. I want you to know something. If Jesus Christ truly is what is bringing us together, then Jesus Christ, then the the people that are drawn to our church won't be people that are just like us. Biblical fellowship shouldn't only be happening between people that are just like us. Our bond is formed on something so much bigger. And I've said it once, I'll say it again. That bond is simply formed on the base of Christ Jesus. If Jesus Christ was what is drawing us here, we will naturally, naturally, we will naturally be a diverse body. And if you're looking to be a part of a church that is full of people like you, you're in the wrong place. I'm not interested in that. I know our pastor's hearts, they're not interested in that. And most importantly, God's not interested in that. Jesus Christ, above all else, is meant to be our common thread. Let's move on to the second point, and that is this. Biblical fellowship isn't just being together. It's doing together. Biblical fellowship isn't just being together. It's doing together. It's not uncommon for churches to have something we call a fellowship. We have a fellowship. Amen? And we meet over there. We, this is how we do it anyway. We go. We get food. We sit down at tables. We talk to one another. We spend time with one another. And then we go home. We call that a fellowship. And there's nothing wrong with fellowships. I think they're great. And there's nothing wrong with things like fellowships whatsoever. The early church did it. You read in these verses, it said they broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and generous hearts. But here's the thing. They weren't just getting together. They weren't just eating together. There was something more going on. There was something more taking place. They weren't just gathering together. They were doing together. They were growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ alongside one another. They were encouraging one another. They were building each other's faith. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We need to be stirring each other up to love and good works. We're not just to having a good time. We're stirring each other up. We're building each other up. We're pushing each other on. We're spurring each other on. We're challenging each other to grow in our faith and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to hang out with your fellow believers. You need to be doing together. You need to be growing together. Not only will you be helping each other, but you're going to be, if true biblical fellowship, when that's taking place, you're doing, and when you're doing, you are what we're doing, you're building the kingdom of God together. We are to build the kingdom of God together. You read about these people in Acts. They were on mission Verse 47, they were, and those who were being saved were added to day by day. 
They were building the kingdom of God because they took what Jesus said literally. They took the great commission in Matthew 28 literally. In Acts 1-8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They were all on the same mission. They had the same goal. And we here at the Palace of Praise have the same mission. We have the same goal to expand the kingdom of God by exalting Jesus Christ and equipping believers with ministry and purpose. We are trying to build the kingdom of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's more than about coming together. It's about building together. That's true biblical fellowship. Third point is this. Let's go ahead and move on. True fellowship happens when the church values one another over self. True fellowship happens when the church values one another over self. The phrase one another is mentioned in the New Testament over 100 times times. Over 100 times, the Bible instructs us and shows us how to treat one another, what we're to do for one another, and how to act out actually valuing people more than we value ourselves. Let me just list a few right here from Scripture. One another's. Romans 12.10, honor one another. Romans 12.16, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15.7, welcome one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.16, admonish and warn one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24 says, spur one another to love and good deeds. 1 Peter 4.9 says to offer hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 1.22, 1 John 3.11, 1 John 3.23, 4, 4.11-12 4, says love one another. For one another's to take place, you have to understand that church isn't meant to be just a Sunday gathering. It's so important that we understand that coming to service simply is not enough. Just coming and attending a service isn't enough. But the truth of the matter is, the American church as a whole, not to bash it to the ground, but I believe when I look and when I see and when I analyze it, has become content with just getting people to come and sit down in a seat. That is plenty fine with them. All they're worried about is mainly a full sanctuary and good tithes. When we began to ask questions like, how can we keep you happy? How can we keep you comfortable? How can we ensure that you are going to be sitting in our seat on Sunday? When those questions begin to be asked, we've got a problem. Churches having this mentality have established a culture that God is not pleased with. It's cheesy. I'm a cheesy guy. And I've used this before. But it's like churches have a Burger King mentality. It's a have-it-your-way mentality. Whatever way you want it, we're going to try to have it for you. Have it your way. It's not about you. 
It's not about you. Church is meant to be having it his way, not your way. And if his way and your way don't match up, he's not the problem, you are. Church is about one another over self. I love what Andy Stanley says, and I'm not here to exalt Andy Stanley. I just love this quote. It says this, when everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do one another's. When everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do one another's. Genuine biblical fellowship can only take place when people value one another over self. Fourth point. Let's go ahead and move on. You're like, he's got four points. Oh, I got one more, so just calm down. (laughs) Biblical fellowship is on another level because of the supernatural love we're to have for one another. Biblical fellowship is supposed to be on another level because of the supernatural, supernatural, supernatural love we're to have for one another. John 13, 34 and 35, some of my favorite two verses in Scripture. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Churches are known for a lot of things. Churches may be known because the pastor's a great preacher. Churches might be known for their worship or their atmosphere or their building or being current and being relevant. But how many churches do you know are known for their love they have for one another? By this, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's an unnatural type of love. It's love on another level because that's God's love for us. Love that can't be earned. Love that can't be removed. Love that is un Conditional, uncircumstantial, agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, agape love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is, is not about weddings. It's not about marriage. It's about the love that the church is supposed to have for one another. So, what does that look like practically? Because we can sit here and we can say we need to love one another. What does that look like? I just want to give you three quick Things that you'll see happening and taking place if a church has supernatural love for one another. Three things. First thing, you'll see brothers and sisters in Christ willingly, willingly sacrificing their resources and time for one another. You will see brothers and sisters in Christ willingly sacrificing their resources and time for one another. Acts 2, 44 and 45. Sacrificing their resources for one another, selling their property and giving it to the needy. Acts 4, 32 through 37, same thing happening, same thing taking place, and there was no one pushing them to do it. 
This was not a commandment to sell your property, all your property, and give it to the poor. That's not a commandment. This was above tithe. This was just something that people were doing out of their love for one another. And the thing I love, the thing I, I, I don't see happening here is that people weren't doing it wanting a standing ovation saying, oh, you're such a good person. Good job. They weren't doing it for pat on the backs. Good job, old boy. And they weren't writing IOUs. They were doing this expecting nothing in return, willingly giving their resources for one another for no other reason than love. How beautiful is that? What a beautiful picture of biblical fellowship. They weren't just giving their resources, they were giving their time. These people were spending time together. They were devoting themselves to God and to one another. Simply out of their love for one another. This kind of love is uncommon in the world, but it should be common in the church. Second thing you'll see happening. I just want you to know, this convicts me. I'm not here to yell at you or get on to you, but this is something that the Lord's put in me. This applies to me, and I believe should apply to everyone. I just wanted you to know that, that I preach this out of love and not anger. Second thing, a church that has supernatural love is full of humble people. A church that has supernatural love for one another is full of of humble people. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Romans 12, 16 and 17 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Proverbs 16, 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. James 4, 6, he gives more grace, therefore God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God can't stand pride. When supernatural love's taking place, pride's not an issue. You know, C.S. Lewis said that pride is the great sin. In mere Christianity, he said pride is the great sin. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. God can't stand proud people. And as we sit here in the service tonight, we have so many different people that are in different walks. They're in different places, I mean, in their relationship with Jesus. Some people more mature than others. And that's perfectly normal, and that's the way it should be in the church. That's the way it should be. Can I get amen for that? Although... We're in different places. The beautiful thing is we all had the same start. We all started in the same place. We are all, we're all bound and headed for hell until Jesus Christ stepped in the scene. Till we let down our guard. Till we listened and responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and gave in and allowed Jesus to come in and clean us up and reunite us with God the Father. That's where we all came from. And it's easy if we're not careful and you begin to mature and you grow, you begin to maybe get a little puffed up and look at other people and think, I know the word better than they do. I'm more spiritual than they do, than they are. I love what Pastor Randy preached this morning. You might not be as deep as you think you are. But anyway, when we keep 
in the forefront of our minds where we came from, it's so much easier to remain humble and patient towards one another. When you realize we all had the same start and you remember how patient God is with you. If you're looking down on people, God can't stand that. Anyway, third thing you'll see. I'll make this one quick. Third thing. You'll see brothers and sisters willing to give and receive correction from one another. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Galatians 6, 1. Brother, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ veering off the path, that should bother us. That should hurt us. And you can't leave that up to the pastors to take care of that. You can't. This church is too big for pastors to, uh, to chase everyone and to see everything that's going on in people's life. I'm sorry, y'all. It's not realistic. When you see people veering off the path, it's your job in a spirit of gentleness, not anger, not pride, a spirit of gentleness to come to them, to confront them in a peaceful way, to, to, to offer them, to show them their way of wrong and to show them the way back to the right path, and that is Jesus. We are to do that in a spirit of gentleness. And not only are we to do that, but when someone comes to us and begins to point out our, something we're doing that maybe we don't see, we have to be careful not to get upset and angry and frustrated and mad and think people are against us. If someone's reaching out to you, it's because they care. Now, there is a certain way to do things, and, and people being angry and yelling at you for it and things like that, that's a problem, okay? But be willing to receive correction from one another. All right. Last point. Point number five. It's a lot of points, man. Anyway. Fellowship is necessary because you won't make it without it. Fellowship is necessary because you won't make it without it. Let me explain. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, just to say it again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I am a person that, ha that tries to be very careful with what I say, especially when I'm preaching, because I understand I'm going to be held to account for what I say. And so when I say something, like if you don't have fellowship, you're not going to make it, I realize that is a blanket statement. And I want you to know, chances are, if you don't have biblical fellowship, chances are you probably aren't going to make it to heaven. That or Your chances are pretty slim. I'm just letting you know from the scriptures I read, it's not meant to be a walk you do together. Do people make it not have fellowship? Do they make it to heaven? Sure. That happens. That takes place. But one thing I can tell you that is a blanket statement for sure, for positive, 100%, is if you don't have biblical fellowship, you won't accomplish everything you could have, and you won't grow as close to Jesus as you could have with it. It's not going to happen. 
If you're not following Jesus alongside someone, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus. It's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus. One way. We're pursuing a holy God. We're pursuing righteousness. And the world's going the opposite way. The world doesn't care about holy living. Maybe they care about a few morals. Maybe. But as a whole, the world does not care about holy living. And they don't have the same goals and the same purpose that we do. We butt heads. We clash. Dark and light don't mix. And sin is widely accepted as okay. And the pull of the world on you is getting stronger. My goodness, what pastor's been preaching. If that is not waking you people up, I don't know what will. If that is not shaking people, I don't know what will. The world is pulling at us hard. As followers of Jesus... We need one another more than we ever have. Even more, even more, even more as you see the day drawing near. Sundays aren't enough. If you bring your kid to youth group and you think one hour is enough, nope, it's not enough. It doesn't work that way. We need each other every day. Every day. We need to be accessible to one another every day. Would you?